Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the podcast that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. All right, now this week we're going to be starting a new series, uh, a series that I've been talking about, I've talked about a few times, it's on clownfish. Uh, For those of you that are looking for updates on the Seahorse series, stay tuned to the end of this show and I will give you a brief update on where we stand on that. But uh, that being said, uh, since clownfish is a topic that I'm familiar with, I will be able to pick up and run with this one. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started into the clownfish series. Uh, It's not going to be as long as the other series. It's probably going to be about three shows with a QA and a show at the end uh, or, you know, or two as needed. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty much it. We're going to start this show. Uh, it's going to be an introduction to clownfish. Uh, and then we are going to carry on to various other topics as needed. And as we get started on this topic, there's two things that I want to bring up. Uh, as usual with the Talking Reef podcast shows, uh, the topics that I'm going to be discussing here, uh, I'm going to be referring to a lot of things in generic terms. Uh, there are always exceptions to the rule. And uh, it's it's really not efficient for me to call out every single possibility that exists. So uh, I'm going to do a lot of generalization. Uh, the stuff that I'm going to be speaking to is true 90, 95, maybe even 99% of the time. Uh, but I do know that there are always exceptions to the rule. So bear with me there. Now, before I actually get going on this topic, for those of you that are that listen to this show and that are really looking to get a lot more information, more detail, uh, a lot of other stuff, uh, what I want to recommend is a book called Clownfishes by Joyce Wilkerson. Uh, it's available all over the place. Most local fish stores have it. It's available through Amazon uh, and various online sources. I will make sure that I have a link to purchase that book through Amazon in the show notes for all of these shows. That really is the... Uh, for lack of better terms, the Bible to clownfish. It is uh, probably the the best written and most comprehensive book that I've ever read. Uh, so, you know, a, a great place to start uh, if these podcasts just, uh, if you're looking for more information other than the, what's in, in these shows. All right, so all that said, let's go ahead and get started with clownfish. Clownfish are probably... One of the most well-known marine fish, uh, one of the first ones that you can identify walking to the fish store, especially after the moving, movie Finding Nemo, uh, which is, you know caused a lot of people to run out and everybody's got to have their own Nemo. Uh, well, clownfish are actually classified as uh, anemone fish to the scientific world. The label clownfish is usually given to them uh, by... It's more of a, a common name, and it, it's really given to them by the weird or funny swimming behavior that, that's exhibited. If you've ever really sat down and watched clownfish swim around, you'll understand this. Um, as you kind of sit there and watch them, they, they more sway from side to side. Their whole body bends, and it's, it's really unlike pretty much any other fish that you'll see. Uh, clownfish come from or are actually part of a higher group of fish that are commonly labeled as damselfish. Uh, Yep, that's right. That beautiful, beloved clownfish of yours is actually related to the devil of the tank, the damsel. Now, I know not all damsels are bad. Some people like them. But reality is that 
um, the damsel is more likely to be very territorial and aggressive. So uh, this is also true to a lesser extent with regular clownfish. Uh, now with a single juvenile clownfish, you may not actually see this, but stick your hand, you know, in the tank of, or and go near a mated pair or especially a, a spawning pair of clownfish, and you very well may lose a chunk of your finger. Now all that being said, yeah. I, Generally speaking, clownfish are great fish. They're well-suited for beginners. Um, they're quite hardy fish. They are reef-safe, um, and they have a very manageable temperament. Now, I say manageable because uh, they can become aggressive and territorial, um, but this is not always the case, and the degree of which the aggression comes out is really depends on the species of clownfish. You know, something like a procula clown or a skunk or an ocellaris uh, may may stay gentle even when tending to a clutch of eggs. Uh, I, you know, my my perculas even you know I can reach in and and get my hand, my fingers right on the eggs and touch them and they don't bother me at all. Um, but other species such as the tomato clowns, maroons, or even you know sometimes the Clarkie clowns. Um, can become very aggressive simply because, well, it's Saturday. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've seen them take chunks right out of people's fingers just trying to, you know, work in the tank. They uh, they can become quite aggressive to you and to other fish in there. I had a, a tomato clown that was pretty aggressive to pretty much anything that was in the tank. So you really need to keep an eye on that. The amount of aggression can also be amplified in, if it's tight quarters and small tank, and we'll kind of explain that uh, in a second. Um, now when I say that the, the aggression, you know, the word I use is that it's manageable. When we look at something like a blue devil damsel or damsels usually in general, you have a fish that's going to chase other fish around the tank. It's going to beat up on them and, and they're aggressive. Um, these are what I call, uh, they have a portray, you know, offensive aggression. Uh, they're offensively aggressive. Uh, when you, when you take a look at a clownfish, they're, they're really, uh, almost always defensively aggressive. aggressive. Uh, and what I mean by this is, you know, if somebody comes and invades their territory or actively threatens them, that's usually when they become aggressive. Otherwise, they pretty much leave, you know, everybody alone and uh, the tank is happy. happy. Okay, now let's elaborate on this a little bit more. Uh, clownfish in nature have an obligate symbiotic relationship with their hosts and enemies. And what this really means is that in nature, one cannot live without the other. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, in nature, without the anemone's protection, the clownfish is likely to succumb to predation very quickly. And really, to many people's surprise, without uh, an active clownfish or a group of clownfish, many anemones will fall victim to predation also. Uh, so there, you know, there are many aspects to the relationship, but for right now, that's the basic part that I wanted to get across. Clownfish will go and find their home, and they will protect it because without it, they're very likely to die. Now, I did want to note that in captivity, the story is very different. So just be, you know, I'll get into that more uh, later on. But uh, now that you understand the the gist of of what I'm trying to get across, it should help understand the behavior of the clownfish. Uh, clownfish will find their home. They're going to protect it. They don't go off looking for trouble. Uh, now, in the wild and in captivity, clownfish rarely stray far from their home. In the wild, you you rarely see a clownfish more than a few feet away from its host and enemy. Uh, and in captivity, the same applies. Uh, a clownfish is almost always found right next to its home. 
uh, you know, I say home loosely. The home could be many other, many different types of things that it may choose to host in. Uh, uh, but for people that actually do keep a host anemone, uh, a lot of people can use this as a trick to find a stray hiding or wandering anemone. A lot of times they uh, will duck away and you may not see them for a, a day. But if you know where the clownfish is, uh, you can keep an eye on that. And the clownfish, every usually within 30 seconds to a minute, is always darting back into into the anemone just just to make sure that it stays safe. So keeping an eye, keeping an eye on the uh, the clownfish can usually always tell you right where your anemone is. So I've strayed a little bit away from the main topic here, but what you know, what I'm really trying to get to is, um, you know, clownfish are, you know, as I said, hardy, uh, generally quite passive fish and great for beginners and tanks of all sizes. Uh, you know, as I've just mentioned, since clownfish rarely stray far from their home, uh, some smaller species such as the percula and those cellarous clowns, skunk clowns, so on and so forth, can be kept quite happy in smaller nano tanks of like 10 gallons or more. Uh, other larger species of like the tomato clowns and maroon clowns and clarkies are going to need um, much larger tanks. Uh, not great, not huge tanks, but they're going to need something bigger than a 10 gallon. So make sure you pay attention to the type you're getting and, and really what you you know your intentions are with them. So uh, clownfish are not specifically disease resistant, so you want to make sure you take good care to properly quarantine them uh, and then to properly acclimate them to your system so they have time to adjust properly. Um, but they, they do have an amazing ability to adapt to changing conditions. Again, this is one of the reasons why uh, they are commonly one of the first fish that an aquarist will get. Uh, they are generally put in, you know, right when the tank is finishing its cycle, sometimes before. Um, not that I recommend that, but uh, the clownfish usually can deal with uh, the, the changing in water quality. They can usually deal with it fairly well. Uh, and... You know, in smaller tanks, they can they can handle the the slight changes in specific gravity or salinity of the water, along with uh, other chemical elements, ammonia and stuff like that, that can get a little bit out of control in the smaller tanks. Uh, you know, I don't I guess out of control is probably a bad word, but they they're going to rise and fall um, a little bit more than they would in a larger, uh, more stable tank. So, uh, this is some of the reasons why they do quite well in these tanks because they they can adapt quite well. Uh, now that being said, let's take a minute and talk a little bit about the setup that's needed for uh, for clownfish. Now the first thing is the tank size, you know, and as I alluded to, clownfish generally don't need very large tanks. Usually, anything from a ten gallon up to a 35, 45 gallon tank is really all that's needed, uh, depending on the type of clownfish. A full grown tomato clown or full grown maroon clown is not going to be happy in a 10 gallon tank, and you're going to want to go up to, you know, 30, 40, or 55 gallon tank for something like that uh, to really keep them happy. Um, you know, other than that, it's it it's fair game. I mean, they can be kept in, in tanks that are very, very, very large, hundreds and hundreds of gallons. Now, as far as mixing different types of clownfish, that's something that people always ask about. Generally speaking, different species should not be kept together. You generally should not keep um, two different species in the same tank unless the tank is very large. Now, you can successfully keep two of the same species as long as one is male and one is female 
or uh, really what you don't want is you don't want two females. So any other combination other than two females, and we'll, when I get into the, the breeding show and stuff like that, I'll talk about more about that. But um, as far as keeping different types, you don't want to do that. You can, you can keep the same species as long as they're not both females. So we want uh, the proper size tank. Uh, make sure you research the, the specific type of clownfishes you're looking at. Again, the, uh, the Joyce Wilkerson book, uh, Clownfishes, is, is, a, is a great resource, along with uh, forums like Talking Reef and other online sources. It's very easy information to find. Uh, now, one of the other real things that, that comes up a lot is, you know, what about what are they hosted? Uh, some people, you know, I don't, I don't really see it too much anymore, but a lot of people used to say that they need anemones and, you know, frankly, that's not true in nature. As I talked about before, they do need anemones, but it's from a protection standpoint, not from a livelihood standpoint. They can live just fine their entire life and be very happy, uh, at least as far as we can tell without a host anemone. Now, that being said, they do need something to host in. They need something to live in, something to call their home. Now, this can be various different things, pretty much anything. Uh, you throw your clownfish in your tank, it's going to find its home. Uh, it can be an anemone, as I alluded to. Uh, it can be various types of coral, which you need to watch out for. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, it can be little coves in, in your rocks, little nooks in there. Um, uh, it, it, sometimes, if it doesn't find anything quick enough, it can even host, quote-unquote host, in a corner of your tank. It's got the two pieces of glass on each side, and it can actually make itself its home. I've seen some that'll host on powerheads. Um, you know, there's, you know, pretty much anything that it, it can find a somewhat safe place is, is something that it'll call home. Um, so, you know, regarding hosting in corals, it's something that you want to take, uh, take care of and, and pay attention to. Uh, as I talked about, I did a, a show uh, sometime back on Ganiopora. Uh, that's one of the corals that a clownfish will readily take to, which is actually a bad place for them because it, they usually irritate the coral to death, <laughs> literally. Um, but hammer corals, torch corals, frog spawns are usually places that uh, a clownfish will go and can usually host in without bothering the coral too much. Clownfish can be semi, uh, you know, uh, rough on these corals, so make sure that uh, you keep an eye on them and make sure they're not irritating them too much. Uh, other artificial hosts can be used. You can use, I believe there's artificial anemones that you can use in place. Uh, you can use um, clay pots, small pots, uh, large PVC pipe, one inch, two inch pipe, uh, and set that in there. Uh, there's, you can use a, a, you know, a bunch of zip ties that are like bound together at the base to kind of, kind of flower open at the top. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can use for them. Uh, so uh, just be creative there. Check out online. There's a lot, you know, you can find a lot of ideas out there. Now, regarding filtration in your tank, uh, this is pretty generic. Um, there's nothing special that they need. You want to keep your your water quality as good as you can. They are, you know, as I noted earlier, they're pretty they're pretty well adapted to, or they're capable of adapting to various types of conditions. But obviously, we don't want to promote bad conditions. So uh, make sure you have good 
biological or chemical or mechanical filtration or whatever is appropriate for your type of setup. Um, the you don't need anything elaborate for these fish. UV filtration can help, uh, but again, I really I, I recommend you looking at the big picture of, of what you're doing with your tank uh, and make the overall decision based on your setup and uh, and leave it at that. Now, one of the things, another thing regarding co-inhabitants or other types of fish that you want to have in the tank. Um, this is something that you want to pay attention to. You want to try to keep other aggressive fish away. You want to keep in mind what your intentions are with a clownfish. If your intentions are to breed them, then put them in a tank by themselves. If your intentions are to have a nice um, single or pair of clownfish, and if they they do start to, to breed or spawn, then hey, cool, but that's not really the intentions, then you can put them in the community tank. Um, and you know, the same applies to, if you want to keep a single, then go ahead and throw it in the community tank. You want to stay away from larger, more aggressive fish, uh, lionfish triggers, uh, some angelfish, eh, maybe. Um, but you really, you know, with lionfish, you, you want to make sure that it's large enough that it can defend itself. Um, triggers can tend to irritate them sometimes, uh, damsels, you know, obviously damsels irritate everything. So. Uh, anyways, pay attention to that. Uh, there's no real other real rules that I know of or that I can think of that would be important to note on co-inhabitants. Yeah, that, that's probably pretty much it. Other things like lighting, nothing real special there. Uh, and regular normal output bulbs, as with any fish, lighting isn't really that special. You know, you don't need much. Um, some other generic ideas to talk about is feeding. They're optimistic opportunistic omnivores i'm glad i spit that out right um they will pretty much eat anything you throw at them uh as with everything in my tank i, I soak in garlic um there when you when you're dealing with spawning pairs or pairs you're trying to get to spawn there's other things that you want to keep in mind and i'll talk about that later but uh they'll like i said they'll take anything uh generic flake food is usually more than sufficient uh however they'll happily take brine shrimp baby brine shrimp napoli um formula one formula two cyclopses uh they'll even pick at rotifers if you dump your rotifers in there your freshly hatched brine shrimp frozen brine shrimp mycid shrimp pretty much anything that you feed your tank they will eat um, as with any fish you want to try to get a, a semi-balanced uh, diet try a few different things you know every week or you know every few days change it up a little bit um, you know obviously not required but uh, a good idea for the overall health um, some common behaviors that uh, that people ask about when dealing with anemones um, one of the first things that uh, I always, always people asking is, you know, whether them digging a, a digging clownfish is something that's normal. If your clownfish is not hosting in a you know a higher part of a rock or in an anemone or something, uh, they'll commonly host towards the base of rocks, and it's very normal for them to uh, kind of scoot their their back end up to the to the substrate and just start fanning it. Uh, essentially, they're digging a hole. And uh, if left unchecked, they will literally dig a hole right to the bottom of your tank. Uh, this can be problematic if, you know, it's not something that clownfish always do, but you want to keep an eye on it. Uh, they, like I said, they will dig right down. And a lot of times if they're doing this in front of your rocks, 
uh, then uh, you can have a rock slide, and they'll start toppling them over. Uh, damsel, this is damsels do this also, and the the big difference that I've noticed between the clownfish and the damsels and the regular damsels that do this is a damsel will go all over the tank and just do this all over. A clownfish will pick its home, and then it will start digging its hole there. Now, something that you can do to prevent this or at least control this. Um, what I do is I take a, a just a ceramic tile, like a floor tile, a two inch by two inch or something like that tile, and place it underneath the sand where they're digging. You know, a half inch down. Let them dig down a little bit to get to the tile. But then what they'll run into is this hard substrate that they can't fan through, and they're going to be all happy because they got to the bottom and they can make their home. Um, you know, I've had clowns start to lay eggs on the tile that I lay at the bottom, which can be a little bit frustrating sometimes because uh, uh, it's kind of hard to get out and it's really messy and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, you can put the tile in there and look even from digging. Uh, some other things that uh, some other behaviors that are a little bit abnormal is they sometimes clowns uh, in a pair or not in a pair will when they find their home they'll they'll start to exhibit this this behavior of like they're having seizures or look like they're getting electrocuted um obviously i'm going to talk this is a this is a spawning or pre-spawning behavior it it's, it doesn't mean they're going to spawn if you have a pair and they're doing this it doesn't mean they're going to but it's it is a good sign um i'm rambling a little bit i apologize for that uh this is a behavior that i'm going to discuss more in the breeding show and uh, but it, it's a common behavior, and it's it's used to clear off a substrate. So when they find us, when a pair of clownfish find a substrate that they are interested in spawning on, uh, then this is a behavior that's used to to clean that substrate off. They'll usually put the the bottom of of their body on it, and then they'll just they'll start twitching uncontrollably. Um, it's it's not abnormal. It's okay. It's not going to hurt them. They're fine. So don't worry too much about it. But those are two of the the main things that uh, that people really ask about. As I noted before, uh, anemones keep them if you you know get them if you want them, but be prepared because you can't just have a fish only tank and throw an anemone in it. When you add an anemone to your tank, it's you really need to be prepared to have a full blown reef tank. Uh, and of course, for more information on anemones, check out the uh, Talking Reef podcast on anemones. There's a whole show for anemones. You can go to the site and search for that. Or just search in the in the feed and you'll find it right away. So re, another thing is uh, to bring up is a tip regarding getting a clown to host an anemone. One of the common problems that people deal with is they want their clownfish and they want the anemone. It's it's that relationship that they really want, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, it, go for it. Just be you know again, understand what you're getting yourself into and understand the requirements of an of an anemone. If you're not prepared for that, then wait. Um, but if you have done your research and you're prepared for the anemone, you go out and buy the anemone. And one of the things that frustrates a lot of people is they put them in their tank and the clown wants nothing to do with them. So here's my advice. First off, get the anemone and the clownfish at the same time if you can. Um, even if they're hosting in the local fish store, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to host when you get back automatically. Uh, when you get them home. But if you introduce them both in the tank at the same time, then that's good. Or introduce the anemone first. The problem is, is if you have the clownfish first and then you introduce the anemone, um, it may take some work to get it to host because it's probably going to find its own home already. And then you're going to have to get it to move from there. So if you need to get it to move, 
or if you have a clone that's reluctant to uh, host in an anemone, uh, there are some tricks. Oh, before I get into that, uh, it's it's said that tank bred clownfish are less likely uh, and wild bred clownfish are more likely. I don't think there's really anything to, to support that. Both tank bred and wild clownfish will host in an anemone. There are certain types of clownfish that prefer certain types of anemones, so you can use that uh, to match them up properly. Uh, again, do your research on the anemones. Now, back to my tip. If you have one that is reluctant to, to you know, get into the anemone and start hosting in there, one of the things that I found that works really well is to entice it with food. Now, what I'll do, and I've used this uh, two or three times now very successfully, and I've recommended this to people, and uh, uh, pretty much everybody that's tried it that's reported back to me has reported back success with this procedure. But what's done is I take some regular brine shrimp. Uh, brine shrimp is very, very tasty to fish. You know, it has really no nutritional value, so it's a treat. And then what I do is I'll soak some of the brine shrimp in uh, garlic uh, garlic extract. Now, what we have here is two very powerful things. Fish, just they, they go crazy if you're brine shrimp. So you put brine shrimp in there, they're all about going after it. The same thing with garlic. And when you combine the two, combine the two together, you've got something that the fish really, really, really want. So what I'll do is I, I make up this little mixture, you know, not very complicated, obviously, and then take a, a little small dropper, turkey, not a turkey baster, something's really small, uh, commonly used in the in the Hagen's test kits. Those are really good for this. And then you'll suck up some of that little mixture into that and squirt it into the anemone. Um, you might need to squirt small amounts in front of the clownfish so the clownfish realizes what you're doing. Uh, trust me, clownfish are, are smart enough to realize that uh, if you start feeding them with that dropper, they're going to recognize it right away. Uh, so if you have one that's really being a pain in the butt, then on the first day, just feed it a little bit directly from the dropper. Don't worry about where the fish is. Uh, put the dropper in the water, squirt a little bit out, get it used to the fact that food is going to come out of that. Uh, and then trust me, it will follow that dropper around uh, once it realizes food comes out of the end of it. Uh, and then because it follows it around, you can make it go right over to the anemone and shoot the food right onto the oral disc of the anemone, the right into the middle of the anemone. Um, and what will happen is the clownfish will go right into the anemone. Uh, you know, this is common for, you know, sea bays or uh, bubble tips where they actually have to go into the tentacles and uh, they'll get the food out of there. Doing this a few times, um, you know, I've had it work on the first time. Sometimes it might take you two or three days or a week of doing this, but uh, uh, it's very successful process to get them to host. So, I uh, hope that works for you if it's some if you know if if you try it out, um, and uh, make sure you let us know. So I'm gonna I think I'm gonna wrap up the introduction show. Um, if you have questions regarding the stuff that I talked about here, make sure you send them in. If you want to know anything about clownfish, I will answer everything that I possibly can. Send them in. Post them as a response to the show. Uh, as with the other series, I'm gonna do a show at the end of the series. Uh, you know, a Q and A based show. Uh, where we'll answer everybody's questions there. Future topics uh, are going to be mating and spawning, kind of getting them, you know, getting everything set up for uh, mating and spawning, uh, or getting them to spawn, getting them to pair up, stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to do a show on actually caring for and rearing uh, the, the small clownfish larvae. So those are some of the things that are coming up. Normally, I would do a, a show on disease, but I think I'm going to skip that out. I'm not really 
an expert in that in that area. I don't feel quite comfortable covering it. Uh, and the book that I recommended, uh, Clownfish, is by Joyce Wilkerson, is a great resource. It has a lot of pictures, uh, a lot of different types of diseases broken down that uh, can cause problems with clownfish. So if you're interested, make sure you check that book out. That's pretty much it. Uh, mating and spawning coming up rearing larva. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of stuff there, but if you have questions, make sure you send them in. Uh, if it's for a future show, I'll make sure I, I try to get that uh, covered in the future show. If it's just generic questions for that would relate to something in this show, then I'll answer it on the Q&A show. So make sure you send those in. Uh, you can email questions uh, to me or preferably post them in the forums. If you've got audio questions, that would be awesome. Uh, you can call them in on the on the voicemail line or use the comment line on the homepage at talkingreef.com. So uh, make sure you utilize that and we'll get uh, get your questions into the Q&A show. So again, that's it for this. Uh, I want to wrap up. Uh, I'm not going to really go through too much community update stuff. Uh, but the one thing I did want to mention is the seahorse series. I know a lot of people were really excited about that. You know, obviously I've never kept seahorses. I am not an expert. As you know, um, I had brought in other people to talk about that. Uh, I have just not been able to get everybody together to help finish up those shows. So uh, I'm working on it. Uh, as soon as I can get the resources back together, I'm going to try to finish those shows up for everybody. So uh, I do apologize for that. Bear with me. Uh, I'm doing what I can to get everything going there. So that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, questions and comments, make sure you send them in. The voicemail line uh, is it, all on the website, it's, but it's 586 486 3357. Skype, Talking Reef, uh, all that fun stuff. So that's about it. I will talk to you all next time with the next show. <laughs>